like the real deal now. Ooh. Gonna kick this sorry ass out on the street. Welcome to the Lowdown Wrestling Podcast. My name is Robert Fuller, and we're turning to the show uh, from the International Object Podcast. It's Sonia Paul. Sonia, welcome back, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And we are continuing our series into the Unfair Street uh, by talking about his match against Ric Flair at WrestleMania 18. Now, sorry, this is uh, important to you because this took place in Toronto, and you were there, weren't you? I was. I was there live for this match. And pretty close to the ring, actually. Oh, were you? That's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I was maybe maybe 18 rows back. Okay. That's good. Well, I've, I've been to, um, I know it's called the Rogers Center now, but I've been to the Sky Dome for a baseball game years ago. I know it's a mm-hmm. pretty big stadium. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty big. Yeah. Um, one thing I found interesting about this feud is that... Um, this is the first, out of all the matches I've seen, I wasn't bothered whether you won or not, but due to what Undertaker goes to do, does to Ric Flair in the build-up to this match, he acts like a total dick to him, and, he, he, and it was the first time I really, really wanted Undertaker to lose. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean, um, pretty much the, the stuff going into it is, um, we just go, we go through all the evasion angle, and the day, day after... It's the introduction of this man's Kiss My Ass Club. Um, he's trying to get... And the whole segment is... Um, Steve, he's trying to get Steve Austin to, to join it. And Steve was like, no. So all these five guys beat him up. And they go off to the back. Um, and then Jim Ross is like, kind of like making fun of it in a way. Uh, so Vince gets angry, trying to get Jim Ross to join the Kiss My, Kiss My Ass Club. Until he comes out... And give the impression that JR shouldn't do it. And then he suddenly goes, well, does that mean you're better than me? Thumps Jim Ross. And Jim Ross does reluctantly get to join the um, Kiss My Ass Club. So that, that's the beginning of um, Undertaker's heel turn at the time. Um, he gets to, he had a brief feud with Maven when he gets eliminated by him at the Royal Rumble. And then gets a feud with Rock. And this is where Ric Flair jumps into it. Uh, Ric Flair... On the same day, the day after the invasion, uh, was revealed to be the collaborator for um, the alliance. Pretty much Shane and Stephanie uh, pretty much gave, no, sold, Ric Flair bought the shares of Shane and Stephanie and then he revealed the day after the invasion that he's a co-owner. Um, he interfered in the match with the Walker and Thicker No Way Out and that... Uh, also, also Undertaker doesn't take that well and challenges Flair to match at WrestleMania. Flair refuses, so um, pretty much Undertaker attacks on Anderson after a match. They attacks David Flair, who I think at the time was in deve- developmental, wasn't he? I, I guess. I don't know that he was actually in developmental, but that's where they put him. Yeah, I, I do remember when he was in WCW, he was like, even though he was like, he was like Valid out the worst wrestler on the roster, became the United States champion, and also like 
Flair like find you know pretty much Dave Flair gets his matches and he finds some way to help him out. Um, mm. So he was trying to of him. So um, Flair goes, right, okay, you've got a match. And then that same night, he um, they brawl and go to the crowd and Flair actually pumps a fan. Uh, so he gets arrested. Uh, Vince takes advantage of the situation and takes an emergency board meeting. And pretty much he, so he, so Linda, who's in charge of the meeting, says, okay, Vince, you're, you're going to have full power until after WrestleMania. And that's pretty much the story of the match. Um, just before we get to the match, um, this is the middle of Undertaker's biker phase. Um, mm-hmm. What did you think of it? The the biker thing? Yeah. Like, I, I, at the time, I completely understood because he was probably really tired of playing a character that was somewhat restrictive in what it could do. Yeah. Um, I, I completely understood why he wanted a change. Um, I much preferred him as a villain, as a biker, than as a good guy. Even though he's only a bad guy for maybe eight months, like from, from I guess, like late November 2001 to around... SummerSlam 2002, roughly, is... I'm not entirely sure when he became a good guy again, but it was around there. Um, but I, I really liked his bad guy run. Um, I really liked this stuff. I thought the work he did with uh, Van Dam in late 2001 was really solid. Um, and just the general character of um, just this sort of veteran who is sick of... Uh, basically everyone around him not giving him his proper respect. I think that's a really cool wrestling trope. Yeah. Um, as for this feud, uh, watching it again so many years later, it it really feels like um, at WrestleMania 18, um, the, like the WCW guys generally like had had melded into the WWE roster pretty well by that point. Yeah. But this one still really felt like a WWE versus WCW kind of match. And this is the one time where it feels like <laughs> like like they're trying to tell the whole story of the Monday Night Wars in one match, but from the winner's point of view. And so they've painted Undertaker as the WWE and they've painted Ric Flair as WCW. And it's really just like, what is it, 19, 20 minutes of The Undertaker just destroying Flair. Yeah, I mean, we'll get into the match in a minute, but it's. I mean, I, 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 did, I do enjoy the match. I, I did enjoy the match at the time. And looking back, I still did. But I didn't realize there wasn't mm-hmm. really that much Western, especially by Flair. Because, well, at, at the time, he, he is the oldest opponent The Undertaker's face at WrestleMania. I think Flair was. 52, 53. Right. When he had this match. So, and, you know, Undertaker does tower over him. So I'm not expecting, like, Rick Flair to do, like, you know, suplexes and, you know, really, like, strong strength moves. But. Yeah, this match, I think, like, this match is what, 80% illegal maneuvers? Pretty much, yeah. Because <laughs> like uh, if I'm not crazy, it's a no disqualification match as well. It's it's no DQ, and this is one of those times where a no DQ match makes a lot of sense because. There's you're right. There's maybe like seven wrestling moves in the whole thing. Yeah, but well, there are some bits that we, that we love. But one thing I want to mention is that um, 
in the lead up to this as well, um, Undertaker was fighting over the Hardcore Championship, which seems a really weird thing for him to be fighting over. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not... I know a lot of people are not the biggest fans of the Hardcore title. I didn't admire it so much. Um, I did love it when, you know, when Crash, Crash Hardy started the 24-7 rule. And I yeah, I guess it was interesting, but it played out, way played out. Oh, yeah, I mean... I, and like they did it at this show, right? Like the hardcore title changed hands like four or five times yeah, at WrestleMania. Yeah, it did. And um, I mean, when Crash I saw doing it, it, it was funny because he was like, he had, he had, I think one time where he was they pinned him when he was asleep and he was in the yeah. hotel room and all that stuff. But the thing that got me about it was when they were having a hardcore championship match and then another guy would come down with referee, you have a match within a match, and just thought, no, that's that's too complicated for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we get to the match. Um, one thing I noticed is the video I watched is that they didn't play the rolling um, beat song. They played the uh, Military Darkness one instead, and I think that's kind of due to, I presume, the recent license went out. So That's definitely a license that you, and it's it's one of the reasons I, whenever I see a wrestler using a theme song like written by a real person yeah. um, and not like the WWE like team, um, I kind of cringe because I know looking back on their matches in the future, they're going to edit that out and it's going to be, um, it's just not going to have the same feel. And not like, not that I miss the Limp Bizkit, trust me, um, but it does sound wrong. Like the fact that they have to go back and dub stuff, it makes it sound, it, it does, it just, it messes with the nostalgia of it for some reason. Like you watch something for the first time and you, these things get ingrained and then you watch it back and they've changed one element of it. It screws with your memory in a way that's not pleasant. Oh no, it's not. I mean, especially with, um, cause I don't think it was a ring announcer, but it, it doesn't, when he's announcing, it doesn't, feel like it's part of the show mm-hmm. as well because mm-hmm. the way it's sounding it definitely feels like the, there's an extra layer here has been added and it's strange yeah um so we get to um, get to the match um flair doesn't stick around here pretty much it goes out three quarters away through drops his robe and just goes out to take want to take it straight away actually go and it goes to the outside yeah lots of sort of chops here yeah um, yeah, pretty much. In a match. Yeah, he does. Um, Flair's going to take mm-hmm. over, the, over the announce table, and it goes, actually goes back inside. Um, after a while, Taker does get the advantage, because Flair, I think when Ashley was outside, Flair goes in the air, but he's caught by Taker, and he slams into the ring post, and then he bounces off the steps, and um, has a little bit of back and forth. There's one bit where um, Taker sends Flair into one corner, and then sends it to the opposite, and I think he's trying to do the move, you know, when he... He kind of like flips over the turnbuckle and lands on the other side on the apron. On the apron, mm-hmm. I think he tried to do that, but he kind of failed. Um, so I don't know if that kind of was a no, just a bad move, or that he actually did a plan to slam his shoulder into, into the turnbuckle into the table. It did. It did seem messy. I will say, like just as an overall, a lot of the moves in this match seem messily done. Yes. Like it's a it it's not a precise wrestling match, even in like the illegal moves. Like like punches look th- like thrown stranger, like uh it's it's very un WWE. And it's not an Undertaker match. Like this is maybe the first time in, in your series where the Undertaker's wrestling a match that's not his structure at all. No. But at the same time, it's not really a flare match either either because it gets really hard it's almost like they're both trying to be terry funk 
Yeah, that's an interesting point. I never really saw it that way. I mean, I probably did try a lot of Taker's match because as he's, he's evolving more to have like a more MMA style over the years. So this is, as time mm-hmm. goes on, there's a lot more well boarding and pushing the corners and stuff like yeah. that. Um, with this, with this one is is like it's a brutal, quite a brutal match. Really it, brutal, it's, really it's, hardcore. Yeah, yeah. very, yeah. very bloody. Yeah, because uh, pretty much like Flair get bust over in the first like six or seven minutes. Because um, yeah, Flair puts him in. Sorry, Taker puts him in the champion's chair and puts him a few cha- times. And one thing I noticed as well during the match is the commentary between Jim uh, Jim Ross and Jim Lawler because Jim. Jay Lawler's like throughout the whole time like defending Undertaker. Um, but there's one bit later on where Flair breathing profusely and Undertaker's got a little cut on his cheek. And Lawler's is like more concerned about what Taker's cut than like Flair who's like bleeding like puddle or blood everywhere. And JR's like really angry with him and it's what's so I mean it's weird now because Lawler doesn't doesn't seem to contribute much to commentary now that they did then, obviously. Well, mm-hmm. he seems to be such very dickish here. It's true. He's very, very anti-Flair and pro-Taker, um, which is <laughs> it, it. That to me is one of those layers of oh, this is a really WWE versus WCW match. Yeah. Is is that um, Jr. is sort of cheering on the WCW guy? Uh, which I know he didn't get to do during the invasion, but the the whole invasion was really was bungled on pretty much every level <laughs> and it includes yeah. where JR fits on the commentary. Um I guess Flair was the first guy that came out after the invasion that you started to think like, well the invasion would have been a lot better if he had shown up three months ago. Yeah. You know? That this kind of thing. Like they could have had this match at SummerSlam two thousand one, right? This didn't need to wait this long. No, it didn't. I mean, I think the main problem with the invasion is just with the WCW, the way they thought their contrast were, is that all the big stars like Flair, Hogan, Nash, or Goldberg. Right. They all they all had these sort of built-in, like, our contracts run until this time, which yeah. makes me think, like, they should have just waited. They should have waited until they had Flair, Hogan, Nash, Hall, Goldberg, Eric Bischoff, all these guys that seem to show up every six months in WWE after the invasion. If they had just waited until they were all available, say right after WrestleMania 19, that would have been a very, very, very different story. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the way probably the best way of doing it is to actually establish WCW as a brand and then kind of sort the invasion after that because yeah. I know we're kind of massive like dressing here, but I know with the invasions, like you know, they started doing like, like WCW championship matches, but that was always end in the cluster because WWE was re- was, like really terrible. Yeah. Um. So yeah, pretty much back to the match. Um. No, Ashton goes back into the inside and Taker's just constantly punching him. Uh, sends him to one corner, hits a suplex, and one thing I find interesting is that um, Taker covers Flair but pulls his head up. After two, mm-hmm. um, and one thing I find interesting is that um, Kane did that to Undertaker WrestleMania 14. Oh um, yeah, yeah, because he he pretty had a pin and he pulled his head up and you know he goes he goes to obviously regret that later on. And I thought mm-hmm. the show did, I think there's pretty much I know heels do it all the time, and I think with, with two exceptions, they don't go on to regret it. The first one is this match 
because David goes to win the match. But one thing, uh, another time he did it was when John Cena faced John La- John Laurinaitis a couple of years ago. Right. And Cena was doing it all the time, but Cena's a good guy, but he's kind of being a bit of a dip to Laurinaitis because Laurinaitis technically <laughs> is not a wrestler. So right. if it was, like in that match, Cena had the match won after like 90 seconds, but he's prolonging it. He's like putting his head up, he falls him. Yeah, it's pretty much like Cena's been a complete dick to him during that match. It's a, it's an interesting sort of bad guy move because um, something that my podcast co-host Rich Thomas always says is that one of the best bad guy moves you can do is to have is to make it so there's less wrestling, right? So like it's a really bad guy move to say I'm not going to fight you tonight or ever. He's going to keep dodging the fight, right? So yes. there's no wrestling. Um, but this move where you pick up the guy's head and you go, I'm not done with him yet, it's actually telling the audience, don't worry, there's going to be more wrestling. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's sort of this, it's the one time of bad guys like, no, 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 let's keep doing this. Yeah, I'm enjoying that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so, but one thing I noticed as well is that um, Lawler says, oh yeah, um, goes to, you know, take his given flair over chance. So I, just, I just found that a bit really funny. There's a couple of pretty good Jerry Lawler lines in this yeah. one. Yeah, that was one of them. Uh, um, so He almost gets to like point one Bobby Heenan. Yes, and believe me, Bobby Heenan's like my favorite commentator of all time. And that's, to get anywhere near that level is an achievement. Yeah, yeah he, d- he doesn't get there, but he gets close with a couple of lines because he's yeah. just so condescending to Ric Flair. Oh, he is. It's a, it's a bit weird hearing it you know, compared to the commentary now, what I said earlier. Mm-hmm. But it is, it is he's very condescending, especially because, you know, when, before he left last year and the previous year, him and JR were kind of like a good, like, like a respectful relationship kind of thing. Yeah, they were like buddies. Yeah. Now, obviously, like, Laura would support the heels and, you know, they would do his own, but you knew there was respect there. And mm-hmm. with now, at this time, it's kind of gone back to them, like, not liking each other. Um, so, with this match, um, there's one bit where Taker does the guarantee leg drop, and um, also he covers him again, but also again pulls the head up. Um, he goes to address on just very briefly, because uh, Taker goes for the elbow but misses. Uh, Flair goes through his traditional uh, Flair chops. Um, Taker pushes him down and goes for old, the old school, but uh, Flair pulls him off the top rope. Um, it's more chops by Flair. Pretty much, I know it's Flair trademark move, but I didn't think he would do so many chops in this match. Um, but Undertaker gets hit with a sidewalk slam for two. Mm-hmm. Um, Taker misses a big boot and has to lay off the rope. And um, this is where the match goes back outside. And that would be rolling while taking his motorcycle. Flair hits uh, Undertaker with a lead pipe. So now both guys are buzzed open. And uh, they go up the aisle briefly. And um, just with, with you being near the wing, do you manage to see the actually going up the aisle? or do you have to actually I did. Up? I could. Well, I, so when they were like fighting um, around the ring, I couldn't really see it. The, too many people were standing up. Yeah. Um, but as they were f- going up the ramp, that little bit of elevation helped. Um, I will say, being in 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 the Sky Dome at the time, like Canadian audiences are known for being kind of 
um odd like where like the reason like where the reason they started calling strange crowds like bizarro world like yeah, where know. like like canada is absolutely where bizarro world got started um but now it's become just any place that doesn't agree with the narrative yeah. but this WrestleMania is very, very full of that. So, you know, uh, classically, we cheered Hulk Hogan when we should have booed him. That was sort yeah. of the big story of the night. But we did the same thing with this match. There's a lot of cheering The Undertaker in this match um, and a lot of booing Ric Flair because WWE has not done a very, very good job of defining why we should cheer for Ric Flair. They did a pretty good job of saying why you should boo Taker, yeah. but... The fact is there was a lot of WWE fans who, like, didn't watch WCW. And they, and Flair shows up back in November and becomes this, you know, authority figure style character who wrestles sometimes. But he's not really painted as a good guy very much. Like, may, maybe sympathetic, maybe against the other bad guys, but there aren't really a lot of good reasons to cheer him if you weren't paying attention to WCW. Yeah. Um, so I – and and really, at WrestleMania, you're also dealing with a lot of casual fans who don't watch Raw every week. And so they show up, they see The Undertaker, and, they're go, and they go, oh, he was a good guy for the last 10 years. I'm going to cheer him. Yeah, because think... maybe they haven't been paying attention. Yeah, especially now. I think now with WrestleMania, you get a lot of the like people from all over the place as well. Yeah, yeah. Because um, and a lot of people think think like the war after WrestleMania. A lot of people who were at WrestleMania go to that war. So that's yeah. Also, you can't the bizarre world does kind of affect that. War it's it's war it's a very world. interesting thing that happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So with this, um, say it goes for the. Choke slam, but gets a low blow, which is fine because it's not a strong occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, Flair plays more stick- illegal moves. Yes, <laughs> well, well, yeah, well, they are legal, but not really, not really this match. Yeah, like more like these, these, like this match. Like if you're if you're trying to find out how to be a better like dirty wrestler, watch this match because they both do a lot of fun stuff. Oh yeah, they do. Um, Flair applies the figure four, and the crowd goes nuts for it, and um, take it goes down for two, but it sits back up. Uh, pretty much chokes Flair out of it and hits a choke slam for two. Um, Taker can't believe it um, mm-hmm. and starts punching Flair again, comes for two. Um, the referee, who is Charles Anderson, by the way, uh, gets attacked by Taker and um, so Taker goes for, for the lead pipe. Um, Flair hits Taker on the knee, then comes the chops. And then this is like one of my favorite bits for WrestleMania ever. Um, Flair bounces take off the ropes. As you see, bounces off, you see Anderson just slide in. Yeah. And hits the, hits the spine buster, which is like one of my favorite moves. It was so good. And I will say, sitting 18 rows back, I didn't see him coming. No, because that, that's the weird thing is that normally, especially because it's a big arena, this guy, yeah. you know. You, now, obviously, you, like, he was coming down the the ramp. Obviously, he didn't show up from under the ring, but I wasn't paying attention. And when you're in an arena that big, um, a little bit of a – a little bit of, like, people freaking out near, like, one area, you may not hear it all the way over. Yeah, that's true because the video – because I just remember it's just, just – because there's no, there's no, like, no pop or anything like that. Exactly. Out, there's no, it just comes out of nowhere. 
and just yeah. a smacking buster. It's, it was very, very cool. Yeah, uh, but the, thing, the only thing I found weird afterwards was that Anna hit the spine buster and then goes and hide. And I think to myself, it's not a stratification. Nobody cares. You're right. <laughs> um, so Flair takes the opportunity to close with two. Um, well, take it, kicks out, pushes Flair out the ring, and then attacks uh, on Anderson. Uh, we get a, Anderson gets a big boot and then a reverse headlock. Um, Flair drops a chair and hits Takeover a few times. Um, and break and but well, he gets a big boot instead. And I think this one, I think with this one, just end, the ending might be slightly botched because it looks like Taker's going to go for the last wide, but yeah. whether, whether he's too tired or he just can't do it right, uh, that doesn't happen. Um, so he goes, I'll just go for the tombstone instead. And I think that's a better move because I think the crowd appreciated that move more. And you could hear it, right? You could yeah. hear that really audible pop for the tombstone. I feel like, and this has been a long time, I feel like it had been some time since he'd used the tombstone. Yeah. Like, the, I think when, like his when, character, his bad guy character didn't really use it. No, but I think when he came in as a biker gamer, I think the last wide was his, was his yeah. finishing move. I kind of make sense because it, it would be weird him still doing the tombstone in because you know, it's going, it's going, it's going away for that dead man gimmick, right? Um, but now it's like Undertaker's got like four different moves he can like end the match with. Yeah. Um, so Taker hits the tombstone, gets the win. Um, Undertaker celebrates by close end to the ref, like almost killing him. Yeah, it was rough. <laughs> that was brutal. It's like I can't remember that. I think Anderson, I think uh, John Anderson did like raise his hands like, oh, that, that's great, and that just kills him. Hmm. Um. And then this is the first time that Undertaker Nauseous is now undefeated because uh, he holds up ten fingers. And behind him, the ring is chaos. And you've got Arn Anderson in there, Flair's in there. They're both bleeding profusely. The referee's down. Mm-hmm. And uh, Undertaker just gets into the bike and leaves. And that's it. That's, that's the end of the match. Um, yeah. I think with this match, I think we said earlier, um, great. No, I think it's, it tells a really good story. Um probably the best way to, to see how you can how to cheat in a match effectively oh um, yeah definitely because both we no both cheating no certification anyway so it's fine oh it was it was cheating from beginning to end it's it's one of the strangest ones in his streak because they're both just dicks the whole time like there's no sense of honor there's no sense no. of this is a big deal they're both just trying to out poke each other in the eye the whole time yes i mean i mean i think take is probably the bigger dick because he he attacks you know yeah other people like he attacks on Anderson he attacks David Flair and all this stuff but Flair's pretty much like going well if you're gonna act that way I'll do that way as well yeah this one pretty much reeks of like Undertaker probably just really wanted to have a match with Flair and they kind of wrote a story around that desire yes and I think it's probably the probably the perfect match to have with that in terms of story they were doing and also. You know, Flair. I think if they did it, if Flair was like ten years younger, I think it could have been a totally different match. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, you know, made limitations, all that stuff. And even though he was fifty-three, it it did feel good to see Flair wrestle again. Yeah, definitely. It was it was great to see this match live. It was in in my mind, it was the the best match of the show. Oh, okay. I'm not, I'm not seeing the WrestleMania itself for, you, for you, 
years. Um, yeah, eighteen is eighteen is a huge drop off from seventeen in terms of quality. Yes. Um, like in terms of of WrestleMania's live, I much would have rather had gone to seventeen than eighteen. But eighteen was the one that was in my hometown. So, um, but it was yeah, like just not nearly as good a show. And this one is a big stand is a big spotlight. But it's also super strange and in the confines of history, like contextually, this match doesn't make much sense. Yeah. Okay. Why, why do you think that? I guess it felt like a vestige of a story they were telling six months ago. Like, I feel like this was written in to do, but they just didn't have flair. And now that they had flair, they felt like they should do it, but that's not a good reason to do a wrestling match. I feel, um, organically, I feel like flair should have been, fighting someone else and Undertaker should have been fighting somebody else. There wasn't really much reason for these two to be together. Yeah. That's why it seems like Taker really just wanted to have a match with Flair. Yeah. Does like maybe know. he was just a big fan or something. I don't know, but yeah, I think, I think that's, that's true. I mean, I know the, the whole reason behind Taker's um, heel turn was that he, he's been there for years and he never thought anyone respects him. I can see probably him leading Flair because Flair's like, but Flair's just come in, he's like, he's like, is his hype, he just kind of just walked in. Yeah. And on the side of Taker, it's taken an exception to that to what Flair's doing. Uh, and that kind yeah. of does lead to I that. guess, like, they found good reasons, but I don't think there was any one really good reason. Yes. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Um, so that's it. That's the match. Um, so for really good match. Uh, in terms of, I feel very because probably it's probably the best match on that card. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a so I'm a Triple H big Triple H fan, so I was looking forward to that match. Oh, with Jericho, sure. Yeah, I, I think I think that match isn't bad, but I just I just think the way this kind of treated Jericho, like in between yeah. No Way Out and WrestleMania, was just bizarre. really terrible, really yeah. terrible. Yeah, and I'm so get over the fact that I mean now if he became a Street Champion, it'd be you know it'd be brilliant. But that was one of those like left field choices. No one really expected him. You know, he, no one expected him to be like the first ever undisputed champion. He had, he had him, Angle, Walk, and Austin. Yeah. Well, yeah. But that was another podcast. Um. So, um. So, Paul, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at SawyerPaul.com, and you can find me at Twitter on at underscore SawyerPaul. Um. I tweet a lot. I, I I don't blog as much as I used to, but I still put out the occasional big article. Um, there's a email newsletter that I'm pr- producing now that you can sign up for on the site. Uh, you get lots of goodies there. Yeah, good. And um, with me, yeah, you can find me at on Twitter at Lowdown Wrestling. I know some website is lowdownwrestling.blogspot.com. Um, just focusing on pay per views with with up. At the minute, until I've done this series and after WrestleMania, then I'll look to write more uh, opinion pieces. So, um, so yeah, Paul, thank you much for being on the show again. Thanks, man. Yeah, and um, catch us next time where I'll be with Nick Gator as we discuss the WrestleMania 19 match in which Undertaker takes on A Train and the Big Show. So, thank you for listening and take care. Right, that was a part one done.